Warning. Listening to this podcast could be hazardous to your mental health. Side effects could include random fits of yelling go bills to total strangers. For your safety, the entire collective medical community recommends caution when consuming this podcast. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain with the most unathletic man in Bill's Mafia, Vince Taylor. I'm not saying he's trash or anything. He doesn't really look like he knows, you know, what's going on. Well, hello, hello, Bill's Mafia. Welcome back to Buffalo on the Brain. I am your host, Vince Taylor. I have got a lot of stuff to get to today, and I'm so excited to be finally done with all of these meaningless preseason games. I actually have a theory that the third preseason game meant very little, but we'll talk about that later. We're done with all the overreactions. We're done with all of them, all of the dummies like me with a microphone saying, this guy's a lock and this guy's a lock. None of us know what's happening. We're all kind of guessing, but I'm, I'm excited to... Get that done. And the next thing on the docket two weeks from today is real NFL football. We're going to talk about some of the other things that are happening with the team around the league. What I saw from this preseason game, some things that I'm thinking about when we're doing roster cutdowns this week. Uh, And if you're listening on a Monday, that will mean tomorrow. And we might even actually start to see some of them later today because I'm recording on a Sunday. If that is not enough for you, we also have Real or Silly with my guy, Justin Goddard, over from the Wandering Buffalo. You should check those guys out. They're on the Built-in Buffalo Network every Thursday. And a very special hot seat. We have one of the smartest people in the mafia taking a turn this week. Mr. Bruce Nolan, I don't know why he subjects himself to me, but he's always been super cool to me and he's treated me very well, just like everybody else on his team. I'm telling you, the A+, A+, plus, A+, plus all around for the Rumblings Network. I love those guys so much. Thank you, Bruce. And a newcomer to the hot seat, Andy Mack from Bills Up Podcast will be taking a turn as well. And last but not least, my man Caveman would spend some time with me I love Caveman. I love his delivery. He's very passionate. He's very energetic. He's very smart. And you can challenge him on things. He's very thoughtful as well. So please, if you like what you hear, head over to the YouTube channel. Search for Caveman. You will not be disappointed. Let's get right down to it. By now, we all know that Josh played almost the, pretty much the entire first half of the game against the Packers. He played against mostly the Packers secondary. He was completely dominant, as we should expect, but to be honest, because preseason and we tend to overreact both positively and negatively about everything we see, I would not have been too concerned if he didn't come out and just absolutely destroy them like he did. Uh, It was fun to see a lot of the first stringers that we have not seen yet. Uh, I thought Jerry Hughes came out a little bit slow, but he looked a little bit better uh, later in the game. I really liked seeing... Emmanuel Sanders, wear number one on the jersey for a wide receiver. I think that looks really sharp. What do you guys think about that? I thought that looked great. I thought that looked really clean, and I, I, I might like to see more wide receivers with single digits. Out of the starting unit on the offensive line, I felt like they're pretty good, but the weakest link was 
John Feliciano, I think he was the one that gave up ground consistently. He looked like he was the worst one of those starting five. Uh, Daryl Williams had a few bad reps, but I felt like he was pretty solid. Same for Dion. I think Dion had a couple bad reps. There was one where I think both of the tackles gave up pressure on the same play. But overall, the offensive line played pretty well, even if it was against the Packers. Second stringers, they did play a pretty late into the game. I think I saw them all out there after half. One of the more interesting things I noted about this game was there were a couple of times where we take a penalty and set ourselves back. For example, just before the first Josh Allen touchdown throw, we took a penalty and we made it third and long. We did that over and over again last year. I remember games where we'd score a touchdown and then it'd get called back and you have to do it again. And that is super interesting. I almost feel like the Bills are can't be more dangerous on like third and seven or third and 12 much more than they are in third and two because we didn't have a running game last year. I felt like that was the case. There's somebody out there who probably has numbers on that and could tell me that I'm wrong, but it feels that way. And it is very, I don't know what the word I want to use here, but it's super interesting that way we can just keep doing that. Take a penalty, get right back out there, throw the touchdown strike, get a first down. I think we did that twice this game. And, uh, you know, we saw that a lot last year. I don't think Tremaine Edmonds had a great game. I didn't notice him a ton. I noticed he got put on his ass one time pretty badly. Um, You know, I guess it's preseason, so I don't want to overreact here. But I am looking to see him have a better year because I need to see that for me to feel better about the contract he is most likely going to get. And it's just preseason game one means pretty much zero. But just something I noticed. Cam Lewis was on the field with the starters. Into the game, he gave up well, he gave up a pretty bad reception there and a blown coverage there early. Um, I, I don't really know how to feel about Cam Lewis. I feel like he's probably got an uphill battle. I know that he can play in the slot as well, and I think we need somebody there that can spell Teron Johnson because Teron Johnson, we know who he is. He's up and down. You know, he's... We was bad for large parts of last year, and he got benched for Cam Lewis. So I I guess I'm holding out hope that he makes a roster, but I I don't know. I, with the addition of Wild Goose, that seems less likely. Uh, Elijah Griffith came in later in the game. I don't think I've seen him yet. My gosh, that guy is tiny. He is listed at 175 pounds, and you can tell he is a little bit smaller than the rest of the guys out there on the field. Um, Nick McLeod was out there again this week as well. Uh, kind of like to hear the stories about some of these undrafted guys making the team. Not completely unlike Levi Wallace, but you like to, I, I feel like that's maybe part of our nature for us as Bills fans and, and people in general is that we like to root for the underdog. I'd like to see it. Not sure there's a path there. Like I said, Wild Goose probably. Cam Lewis maybe even have better paths to the roster than those two. AJ Klein made a, a couple of nice stops. And uh, he was involved in the goal line stand right before Trey White had that great pass breakup where he laid his body out. Love to see that. Who tells me Trey White is in a lockdown corner? He is. He is. Even if it's his own corner, he's a lockdown zone corner. And, and to completely discount him because he doesn't run man, I, I don't know that I can get there saying that he isn't completely valuable or one of the somewhere between four and seven corners in the NFL. 
Uh, Gabe Davis also had a nice game. I like that little shoulder fake that he did near the sideline and I'm getting a bunch more yards after that. You're beating on the Packers secondary at that point, even if they're the second string secondary. But Gabe Davis is talented. I'm, I'm so glad he's on the roster. What a great draft pick for Brandon Bean. And by the way, uh, I had not had a chance to watch Jordan Love until today. But I got to tell you, I think he looked the part. Now, yes, he had a couple of bad moments. That one interception where he looked a little rattled and he just kind of tossed it up into he just for anybody in the end zone. That was a really bad pass. Obviously, it was intercepted by Micah Hyde. But just for him to want to throw that football shows that he's still got some learning to do. But overall, I think he played a pretty good game. He looked at the part to me. He looks like an NFL quarterback. Yeah, he's got some rough edges. He probably still needs to work on. But if you're a Packer fan, that's something that you should feel optimistic about because you probably don't know what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers after this year and next year when his contract's up. But having that guy ready to go and looking like he did yesterday, again, preseason, it's it's hard for me to take things away from preseason, but he looked the part. Zach Moss had a couple of good runs that were called back yesterday. He looked, uh, this is the, the most optimistic I've been about Zach Moss. Again, it's a preseason game against the Packers secondary. I got to keep qualifying that so we hear that. But he looked better. And another little thing that I don't know that enough of us are talking about, I did not expect a lot from Zach Moss out of the passing game. He got that touchdown near the goal line. And if that is going to be part of his game, if he can has developed that or if he can develop that and he is supposed to be the business decision back that we kept hearing, you know, the way he wanted to label himself. If he can do that and catch passes out of the backfield, and we got to worry about Josh Allen running too. There's just a lot of weapons there, I think, for the Bills near the goal line. And that's very, you know, it makes me feel very optimistic. Let's let's see if we can make something out of that. For those of you who want to know how important a long snapper is to the team, we were out Reed Ferguson yesterday because he had a back issue. And you could see that on that extra point, there was a missed snap. AJ Epineza filled in as a long snapper. Not a great snap. It was low. Couldn't get it up. Bass didn't even attempt that kick, but I don't think we have to worry. I think Raid Ferguson is coming back, but it just feels like, to me, podcasting idiot with a microphone, feels like something that should be easy to do, but it's not. You got to do it time after time after time and be perfect every time in order to do it at that level. And, you know, Reed Ferguson has been doing it for a long time, and maybe Dank likes us all getting this all this long snapper talk into a podcast. That's for you, Dank. But hopefully he comes back soon. But not something I like to see uh, somebody like that, the backup long snapper, even in a preseason game. So Ron Neal, who I don't really like in any sort of coverage situation, is actually making some strong tackles. He's a good tackler. I want to give him effort there. Uh, I've heard that People even on the team think he's one of the greatest athletes on the team, but I don't think he's a great coverage back. I don't think he's a good cornerback. I don't think he's a good slot cornerback. He didn't make it at safety, so I'm still very pessimistic about where he can fit in on this roster. Even if he's a great tackler, that's great. They seem to like him on special teams. We seem to have a lot of people on this roster that only do one thing, and that's special teams. And, you know, we have the Daryl Johnsons on board, which is great because he can contribute pretty well and still do special teams. 
Sir Neil, yeah, technically I guess he can get on the field, but how great is he once he gets on the field? I don't know. I'm I'm not super optimistic about Saran Neal being a final pick on this roster. By the way, Josh Thomas is making some hits this preseason as well. And they're probably maybe closer than we like to admit. Maybe there's a small edge for Saran Neal because he does do special teams. I don't want to discount that. We know that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott do value that position, but it's roster crunch and we have to make some tough decisions. And I'm not surprised if he doesn't make it. After Josh Allen in the second half, we did see Jake Fromm, and much later we saw Davis Webb. For the second game in a row, Jake Fromm has outplayed Davis Webb. I think that carries some small weight. I'm still not not sold on Jake Fromm. I'm not. He did have a couple nice throws. Remember he had the throw against the Lions to Marquez Stevenson that basically won the game. It set up Tyler Bass to make that kick. He also made a couple of other real nice throws targeting Jake Kumaro. There was that near catch on the sideline that Kumaro just could not come down with. And that touchdown in the end zone that was just broken up. A couple really nice throws, even if they weren't complete. But I don't know that either one of these guys are going to make the roster. I think they're both going to be on the practice squad. And the reason why I think that is because Jake Fromm, if you're going to pick him up, off from the Bills practice squad. That means you need to have a place for him on your active roster. And is Jake Fromm good enough for some team to take on as their quarterback two? Probably not. Quarterback three? Maybe slightly more likely, but I still think it's a reach, especially when you've got guys like Nick Mullins out there that are available. By the way, Nick Mullins is, can move the football. He's a fine backup. You saw Blake Bortles hanging out there somewhere. Now, those guys might cost a little bit more money than Jake Fromm. But I think it's a very long shot. I think it's pretty safe. Davis Webb, they like because he can move the practice squad. He can get people pointed in the right direction. He's probably going to end up being a coach someday. But for now, I think his career is, like I said last week, his career is going to be as a practice squad quarterback. And he's he's fine at it. He's a good, he's a good practice squad quarterback. You know, on his third team in the five years, uh, never thrown an NFL pass. I, I think his path before him is pretty narrow. He's going to stay where he's at. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. You know, Brandon B didn't come on the broadcast and he talked about several things, which kind of spurred some thoughts in my head when it comes to roster building specifically for this year. He did mention that it was my kind of conspiracy, my own internal thought that this third preseason game didn't really mean much. Most of the positions are probably already solidified. I don't know that there's a real opportunity to separate yourself unless you just had just ridiculous bonkers game. And I don't know that anybody really did that. I don't know how much. Now I'm just a dumb podcaster. I don't have to be right about this. This is just my thoughts. Most of these positions are probably already safe. Brandon Bean kind of already alluded to that during the broadcast when he said that, you know, it's coming down to narrowing it down to what well, do I want to keep this many people here or this many people here? I'm paraphrasing. That's not an exact quote, but he's already got that in his mind somewhere. He's maybe going to look at the trade market, which is something I've been trying to say, not very articulately, I might add, but it's been my thought that the trade market's going to dictate which positions are kept extra. And I said that last week, and I still think it's true. Seven defensive ends seems like way too many. I just, I have a hard time seeing seven defensive ends on this path. Some people way smarter than me disagree. But I I just think seven is 
We like having depth, and that's great. But is there such a thing as too much depth if it is a detriment to another position on your team? And I strongly believe the answer is yes. That probably is our most attractive trade pieces. I think Daryl Johnson is a very attractive trade piece. I think if you're looking at strictly defensive ends, he might be the most attractive trade piece that we're realistically thinking about because he's got two years left on his deal. He's a fine special teams player and a pretty good rotational piece on a pass rusher basis. But if we felt that way about Daryl Johnson, we wouldn't be drafting other defensive ends. So I don't think Daryl Johnson is necessarily a roster lock. It's completely possible he makes the roster, but that doesn't mean he's a roster lock. There's at least some question there. Mario Addison, I have speculated, could be a cut candidate just because that saves a roster spot for somewhere else. Joe Marino came out this week, and he I, I think a lot of people are jumping on his thoughts, but Joe Marino thought that you could get away with only keeping two, quote, tight ends on the roster as long as you keep Reggie Gilliam. That's starting to make sense. I'm kind of buying into that idea a little bit. I've been a Tommy Sweeney fan, and... I hope that's not true, I guess, but if that saves a roster spot for another defensive tackle, that makes sense to me. And by the way, back to the defensive ends just for a moment. Brendan Bean did say he was taking calls on that position. For me, I said last week, I don't think this is likely, but I wonder if he's even pursuing this type of thing. If there was a player-for-player trade that made sense, maybe a Daryl Johnson for some guard, some offensive guard somewhere, that the the salaries matched up and the contracts matched up well enough. We could get better and they could get better without putting somebody or subjecting somebody through the free agent process or the waiver wire process. That makes sense. I still think he's going to look at that waiver wire process. And I think he's going to see if there's anybody that he thinks is an upgrade. Obviously he's going to do that. He's a GM. He's not a dummy. He's much smarter than I am, but I think that's probably just another way that we could upgrade. And I keep talking about how I might have a little concern about our offensive line depth, specifically at the guard. I'm not worried about Spencer Brown being the backup tackle. He'll probably have moments where he does not look good. But I think overall, he's going to do fine, especially he's going to be an upgrade in the run game. I'm not worried about him being the backup tackle. Tommy Doyle, I don't think is going to be cut on the practice squad because I think there are people out there who are eyeballing somebody with his talent and his metrics and can develop him on the roster. I don't think they're going to subject him to the waiver wire process. I think they're going to try to keep him on the roster. That seems very risky. It seems very risky to me that they let him go. They obviously liked him. They draft him over, well, many of us thought there were other needs rather than drafting that fourth tackle. But they made the pick. I think they're going to stick by it. I mean, it's a much better decision than keeping Bobby fucking Hart on the roster. But, you know, there's roster gymnastics to be had here. And we will definitely see some, I think, in the form of Harrison Phillips. I'm worried about the depth on the defensive tackle position without Harry. I thought Harry was kind of a fringe player anyway. I didn't think his spot was 100% safe. But without him, I think it's even worse. I don't love Vernon Butler. I think Vernon Butler is a, a backup kind of replacement level player and without Harry there we have Oliver who made a nice play yesterday but has been pretty much quiet in his career as a bill so far we have Star we have Vernon Butler and we have Justin Zimmer that's only three quality tackles if I don't know if you want to count Vernon Butler in the quality category you might feel different I think he's just kind of meh so I think Harrison Phillips gets put on IR he initially makes the roster gets put on IR very quickly and he comes back 
Uh, it's possible he's out longer if he needs to be, but I think they do that to keep him on the roster. And we're going to have to look for some other defensive tackle help. Now, we know that we got Gregory Rousseau and we got Boogie Basham, and these guys can slide inside the tackle, but not on rundowns. You don't want to see that. That's for like some specialized situational pass rushes in the game, not as an every down player. You don't want to see that. I don't think you do. I could be wrong, and there's probably somebody out there that's smarter than me that can tell me why I am, but I don't think that's right. I don't think that's a smart thing to do. How about that depth, that linebacker? It went from last year just kind of like, you know, eh, A.J. Klein, Tyrell Dodson to this year. Andre Smith's having himself a preseason. And he's, I don't care what anybody says, I don't think that hit last week should have been flagged. I don't know what you're supposed to do in that situation. But he had another couple good plays today. A.J. Klein, again, with a couple big tackles. You know, he's our poster boy for Twitter bullying. But uh, somehow that linebacker depth got sneaky good. And we're going to end up keeping five or six. Does that seem like too many to you? I think it does to me. But the fact that Andre Smith plays special teams, I think his spot is pretty safe. I know they like Tyrell Dodson. I'm not sure he's had that great of a preseason. I don't know that he's helped himself that much compared to some of his other peers. A.J. Klein's probably still around. Andre Smith is probably safe. But that's another interesting spot to watch because it feels like the depth got sneaky good all of a sudden. And I don't know. It, we got extras at defensive ends. We seem to have quality extras at linebacker as well. So Brandon Bean's going to make some trades. He, he always does. Like I said, he's much smarter than I am. He's looking at all these angles. But to me, I'm hoping to see some player-for-player player trades where we can get that upgrade for a guy like Daryl Johnson. Is having seven defensive ends as a detriment to a defensive tackle or another guard does not seem like the best way to build a roster, but I'll defer to his wisdom and he's, I'm just a dumb podcaster. And back to roster gymnastics for just a second. We didn't see Isaiah McKenzie in this game because he still hurts and, you know, he isn't right. We need that kick return or punt return. I thought Marquez, Marquez Stevenson, I'm sorry, I can't say that name correctly, had a pretty good game. You know, uh, we weren't hearing a lot of great things coming out in training camp and even into the second preseason game about the kick returners and punt returners. And then that's when Marquez made his punt return that we're all talking about right now. So we all think he's going to make the roster. He certainly is. If McKenzie's still not right, if we was walking around in the sling, that's part of the roster gymnastics that we might be looking for, which would be a shame. You know, I think all of us like McKenzie. He's a likable person. He's fun to watch. He's gotten a lot better. He is not the same receiver that we claimed off from the Denver Broncos. And, you know, we kind of use him as a gadget player most of his career. But I, I think he's got some receiving skills and some route running ability that, well, quite frankly, it's hard to tap into being the fifth wide receiver, but we're finding ways to use him. And I'm a, I'm a big Isaiah fan, even if all that dumb shit he did this week with his mask, you know, kind of makes me think that he's a little bit immature. Are we still keeping seven wide receivers? Well, maybe we are. Maybe we are for now. Maybe that's another roster gymnastic thing. Is a wide receiver going to get traded? For example, Jake Kumro back to the Packers. You know, they, they tried to feed him the ball in the second half a couple times yesterday. He had some very near-miss opportunities, like 
maybe just not getting down on the sideline and that one touchdown was broken up but you know he played better than he did last week I think last week yes he had the touchdown he had that nice comeback route right before the half but he wasn't getting separation today it looked like he was getting a little bit more separation even when he wasn't throwing the ball he was able to get some so I've not been able to see that I've only heard things from like Matt Prino, Ryan Talbot, Sal, Joe Biscaglia, that that's what they were seeing during training camp. So, and that's another spot that maybe we have some depth at, some excess, some pieces that are tradable. We can't keep them all. We can't keep them all, even if we like all of our defensive ends. We have to do what's best for the roster. And like I said, is keeping seven wide receivers more valuable than not having an extra offensive lineman. I don't know. Is keeping seven defensive ends more valuable than not having that extra defensive tackle? I don't know. I just know that I'm excited. I'm excited to finally get put behind me. It's been fun speculating, but also kind of a little frustrating, I think. We haven't really had this type of depth in most of my adult life and ever since I've been paying attention to the bills to this detail. But it will know if you're listening on a Monday, which is the day this podcast comes out tomorrow, we'll know by four o'clock and maybe even sooner than that. We have a few other things to talk about, but for right now, we're just going to take a short break. Welcome back. Welcome back. I had kind of flip-flopped on the idea if I wanted to spend any time talking about Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley this week, and I don't think I'm going to spend much time on them. I do want to say it's probably not the best look to be childish and putting that silly shit out on Twitter this week and social media in general. I don't think people are taking virus as seriously as they should be, and I think if you were to catch COVID because you were not wearing a mask, it would be the same as letting your teammates down in any other way. You'd be potentially unavailable. So I think taking it more seriously and not doing that silly shit is is probably the better way to handle this. And I'm sure that's what McDermott privately told McKenzie. And I'm sure he's already had that conversation with Cole. And by the way, not to remind you that there are new rules now that the NFL can cancel your game if there's a COVID outbreak. And both teams will lose their paychecks. And, you know, the offending team could get a loss. Is that the way we want to lose the game? So why should we should be taking this more seriously? I know there's a lot of other different little angles here, but the end result is if you don't want the vaccine, mask up, be safe, and that's it. You don't potentially want to be the reason that you miss a game is because you were being childish about these silly protocols on the heels of a Dion Dawkins hospitalization where he was not sure he was going to survive. And by the way, there's actually the monetary aspect of this as well, because you could potentially cost your teammates their game checks. So wear the mask, be safe. That's it. I don't want to spend any more time on that because that's a pretty tiring subject, but I, it's my podcast and I want to get it out there. The last thing I want to talk about before we get into 
Real or Silly with Justin. And then the very special Mafia Hot Seat this week is Deshaun Watson. Now, if you have listened to my podcast for any length of time, you know that I have been the founding member and president of Do Not Trade Your Franchise Quarterback Club. That's been me. I've been on that island oftentimes all by myself, specifically with Aaron Rodgers and and very strongly earlier this year with Deshaun Watson. Then all this other stuff happened. So I've certainly reconsidered my stance on trading Watson. If you if the Texans can get three first rounds and two second rounds for him right now, pull the trigger, do it. There's too much uncertainty. Why is there uncertainty? Well, there's a lot of different angles to this. They are convening a grand jury to see if they have enough evidence to charge Deshaun Watson in some cases criminally and in some cases civilly. This is not a class action lawsuit. One of the accusers is being investigated for extortion. Now, if this were a class action lawsuit and all of the accusers were lumped together and this extortion case happened to have some legs to it, it would disqualify every one of the accusers from being able to file separate suits. It would basically mean their claims are done. They have no more recourse. It'd be over. But it is different for the NFL. The standard for difference, the standard for evidence in the NFL is much lower than what you need in court. They can decide if there's on their own, if there's credible witness, and they can choose to suspend you even if you are not given an indictment or come back guilty. So there's a lot of different paths here to Deshaun Watson not playing. This is not a class action lawsuit. They have 23 separate accusers, 23 separate accounts. So that's 23 times that he has to be found innocent. You can judge for yourself on how likely that is or how credible these witnesses are together. But the NFL is actually looking at this as separate cases as well. So not only it's very possible that he could be found innocent and there's not enough, I don't want to say innocent, there's not enough evidence to charge him or indict with a crime here, but the NFL could still choose on their own to punish, suspend, fine, whatever they want to do to Watson for this based on a much smaller bar of credible evidence. They've already talked to 10 of them. And my guess is they're going to wait. They could end up talking to all 23. They could talk to no more, but they could wait to see how this plays out. This is not supposed to be wrapped up till February. Right now, he's not on the exempt list. We all know he's practicing. He's eligible to play. But I think that any team right now that wants to make a trade for Deshaun Watson is doing so, uh, obviously, a great risk, especially if the the, the rumored asking price is three first-round picks and two second-round picks. This caveman said it best in the BIB group chat. He said, this sounds like Zach Ertz all over again, and he's absolutely right. Why would anybody make this trade right now? Because if we had any inkling that Deshaun Watson was going to be acquitted, we still have no idea what the NFL is thinking. We don't. Maybe some team thinks they do, but to do that right now would be very premature because you can actually think the NFL doesn't like it, but if he gets indicted, then that they would have to do something. So I don't believe any of these rumors out there that, oh, the Dolphins are the front runners. I just, it's, it just seems very risky for me. It sounds like people out there wanting to get clicks and have a story where there isn't one. And 
I don't know. I'm just a dumb podcaster. I don't have to write about this, but I'm right. <laughs> there's there's a lot of risk that's going with a potential Deshaun Watson trade right now. And ask yourself this. If you were a Dolphins fan, would you be happy if they gave up that for Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson is a large upgrade. Large upgrade over Tua. I, I think that Tua is a very low-end starting quarterback and maybe even a backup. But Deshaun Watson is a top five. He's a superstar. And I think that makes the division much tighter. Part of me hopes that they make this trade and it turns out that they can't get Watson to play. Uh, Part of me is very scared that they do this trade and Watson gets to play because the division is going to be much tighter. But I I just, I, I think there's a lot of different paths to Watson getting fined or suspended. And I, the 23 cases, the NFL is looking at each one as a separate case. Now, will they suspend him after one case? Maybe not. Uh, they didn't do very much to Robert Kraft, did they? And <laughs> that's a, that's kind of the same thing. But if four, five, six of them come back being credible, is he going to be suspended for a year? I think that's pretty likely. And remember, 23 separate cases. Ten of these cases are criminal charges, and the rest of them are civil, but the NFL still has the right to judge the evidence on their own. They have a much lower bar. Anyway, just to wrap this little segment up, I'm not a believer in any of the Watson trade talks. I I just think it's silly. I think there are people out there trying to get clicks for money. And just because you're a professional doesn't mean you're above bar in doing that. As we know, there are some Skip Baylesses in the world. But I want to go ahead and get us all to... Real or silly with my guy, Justin Goddard over from the Wandering Buffalo. Love these guys. They come out every Thursday on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. Without further ado, real or silly. Hello. I have a fun game for y'all today. It's called, is it real or is it silly? Silly. Adjective. Laughable or amusing through foolishness or a foolish appearance. Is that for real? Is it real? Silliness. Okay, is it real? Wow. Double L. Silliness is defined as engaging in a ludicrous folly. Ladies and gentlemen of Bill's Mafia, it is that time of the week again where I am joined by my very special co-host for Is It Real or Is It Silly? Justin got it over from the Wandering Buffalo Justin, what's going on? I'm doing great, man. Got out of work a little bit early. A little time to talk some Bills football is always a good time. How are you tonight? I'm always doing well. No matter when you ask me, I'm always doing well, and I'm always doing better than I deserve. That's a good answer right there. I like that. I don't know. Sometimes I fake it, but it works. (laughs) (laughs) All right. First up, is it real or is it silly? Justin? Question one. The Bills will have a 12-sack player on the defensive line this year. Is that real or is that silly? I think that one's silly. A bunch of silliness. I am fully on this hype train, and the defensive line, defensive ends in particular, are looking really good through two games of the preseason. Um, And that's without our actual starters even playing. Um, For me, I think this one is more... 
with the rotation that we're going to run through and the number of bodies, um, I think we're going to have a serious uptick in sacks from last year. Um, but I think it's going to be spread out between a lot of guys. Um, mix in some some cornerback sacks, some linebacker blitzes and whatnot. I think the most we end up seeing is probably in like the – I want to say like the eight sack range, um, probably from Jerry Hughes or Epinesa, but I don't think anybody's going to get to 12. Okay. Okay. This was a tough number and you and I know we talked about it before we went on air, but this is one of our many disagreements. I think I'm going to buy into the hype. I'm, I'm going to call it real because I think, I think, Rousseau is an animal. I think Rousseau is big problems for other people. And I know I am going against some of my own rules and some of my own <laughs> interior, uh, <laughs> I guess, measures. But I just, I like what I see. It's preseason. He's beating up on people in limited snaps. He's getting all kinds of pressure. Maybe it's a little bit different when it comes preseason. But Justin, I think, I think he's going to get there. So I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm on the hype train. What, what I'm looking at is you're getting very vanilla schemes right now, right? The defenses aren't really game planning. They're not trying to take away any particular people from what I've seen out of Groot so far. I think he looks like he's going to be an absolute game wrecker. And I think he kind of fell into our lap because he sat out that year. I don't think his stats were, you know, some anomaly and some he lucked into the sacks, whatever. I don't really buy into that. Um, but what I'm looking at for this point is kind of once the defenses are keying in on, well, do we have to swing uh, an extra blocker over there? Um, that type of thing. Maybe it takes away from his numbers a little bit, but then you see an uptick for a Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver up the middle, a blitzing linebacker. I think it's something that the fact that he's going to be a monster on one side is going to do a lot to free up some of the other players. So I think we see a lot more in the six, seven, eight range spread out. Um, but I, I can't get to 12 yet. And I sure as hell hope I'm wrong. That is a more than fair take. And I can actually, I had to pick one or the other, right? That's the name of the game. Right. And that's a more than fair take. And I can certainly see that happening, like getting more double teams or, you know, throwing a running back at him to make it more difficult for him as the season goes on. So I I'm still sticking by what I said, but that's a completely reasonable take. And I have no problem with that at all. I hope to be wrong. I hope you're wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question number two. Question two. The Bills are going to have an 800-yard rusher this year. Is that real or is that silly? So if you asked me a couple weeks ago, I would have been fully on the silly side of this one. Real. Um, I'm really liking what I see out of Singletary. And yes, it's been in limited action. Um, but where I was a couple weeks ago is... I was kind of figuring it was going to be a three-headed monster and we were going to see a lot of Brita. And I know he's still going to factor into their game plans. Well, at least I think he's going to factor into the game plans, but I don't think it's going to be as divided on split carries as I originally was anticipating. 
I think Singletary looks really good this year. I think his rookie year, he looked really good. And I think last year was maybe kind of a weird year. It seems like he's really recommitted to being the best version of himself. Uh, I think he's going to be the the RB1. And then uh, I think Moss is still going to get his fair share of touches. But I, I think Singletary is going to be taking the bulk of them. So I don't think he edges it out by much. But I'd say somewhere between the eight and nine hundred yard marker. Wow. Okay. So I just want to say this for anybody that might be listening. Justin and I do not talk about our takes before, so we're not disagreeing on purpose. But Justin, I love you, man. I gotta disagree. I'm still thinking that the carries are going to be split. Now, I think both of us are hoping that what we're seeing in the preseason is going to carry over into the regular season. I'm kind of banking very heavily on getting that fullback back there is going to open up the holes and get Singletary back to what he was in 2019. But I don't know if he's going to get to 15 carries a game. I think Moss and Brita will still a hefty portion of those. If I had guess, and he's probably still RB1, I think that's pretty safe to say right now. But what does that look like? Maybe 11 carries to nine or something like that, you know, pretty close. So I think it's going to be hard to get to 800 yards on limited carries, but like you on the last question, I hope I'm wrong because I am team motor all the way. So I, I agree with you to an extent. Um, part of what I'm factoring into this is there is the extra game now. Um, I think the fullback will help a lot, um, but initially I, I was looking at Brita to be, active every week and and really be contributing in in the passing game um the outside runs things like that i'm i'm starting to lean more towards i wouldn't be surprised if brita kind of had that reserve rb3 and active on game day role right now um i think he might be a little bit more featured in like a matchup specific game you know a team that really struggles to cover a running back out of the backfield or really struggles to match up with speed. But I, I haven't really seen other than a couple little flashes in preseason, anything crazy from Brita that's telling me that he's really going to command a lot of touches in this offense. A specific to Brita. I don't hate that. I think there are going to be times where he's out. He is in the game and active on game day and maybe Moss sits out. I don't think Devin is ever going to sit out. I think it's going to be between those two right now. That's my feeling. I'm probably not right about it, but I think we just got a very specific role where he's in the game and it's third and long and he's picking up a draw or maybe it's second and short and we're going to try to sneak him out of the backfield in some kind of screen screen pass for a long game. So I think he's going to get some of those touches. He's probably not going to get many, even if he's in, he's probably going to only get two or three, but at the end of the year, I think when you chop up the carries, I still, I'd love to see it because I want motor to do well, but I I'm, I'm thinking motor ends up somewhere shy of that 800 mark. And Part of me hopes that you said you hope I'm right. Part of me hopes I'm wrong on this one. Um, I think that would be factoring in a, a step up from Moss, which I really liked the pick of Moss when we selected him in the third round, but I, I've been kind of underwhelmed. Even that 
uh, this past game against the Bears. I think it was third and one or fourth and one, and he ran it up the middle. And it, it kind of – he ended up getting it. He he got it on a second effort. But to me, like, the first contact looked like he was kind of shying away from it. And really the player that I was looking at Moss to be was that, that thumper. And, you know, not necessarily needing Singletary to have 4-3 speed to, to be a little thunder and lightning combo. Uh, I think Singletary's got the short area quickness, the elusiveness to, to be, you know, that – that we'll call it a speed back to compliment Moss. Um, but I hope I'm wrong and we see a little bit more from Moss, but I'm, I'm not completely there with him yet. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's, I guess, part of my reason why I think he'll be taking out some games. I, I kept waiting for a signature run with him last year and I felt like I was always waiting and to be fair, it is preseason and he didn't get time with the ones. I don't believe he had a couple of good runs, but, Yes, he has largely underwhelmed, and I'm not even completely sure that his that we can say that his roster spot is 100% safe. I think there's some doubt there. I think he'll probably make it, but I don't think it's 100% safe. I think he, I think he's pretty safe just based on being a third round pick. Bean really likes his draft picks, and you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving out of the equation that he had a, a really wonky rookie year, you know, dealing with COVID alone, no training camp would be hard enough, but he starts off the year with the turf toe. He ends the year with the, what was it? A shoulder injury. You know, he, he had a rough shake for a rookie year, but you know, I, I guess the draft stock alone doesn't give me the, the free pass for him that I just have the expectations that he's going to be that player this year. And I need to see it from him. So. Yeah, I agree. You and I are not that far apart on it. <laughs> Even if we disagree real or silly. All right. Last one. Question three. Justin, the bills are going to have seven wide receivers on the final roster next week. Is that real or is that silly? Uh, so this one. This one has changed for me several times, and we, we brought this up as one of our talking points today. And even before we had talked about this, I've been back and forth on whether or not I even think the team would keep seven. Um, but then I see uh, Marquez Stevenson gets hurt in that last uh, preseason game. And then today in practice, um, I saw Isaiah McKenzie got hurt. Um, so this one is just based on the limited knowledge that I have of what those injuries look like. So for right now, I would say silly. A bunch of silliness. Um, provided they're both healthy. I think they actually do keep seven. I think Stevenson has done just enough in the, in the flashy department that he might be able to – he. I don't think the team will be able to sneak him through on waivers. I think somebody will see that talent and want to snatch it up. Um, and if the injury is a little bit more serious, I could see him getting the the uh, Isaiah Hodgins treatment where, cool, we got a good look at him in the preseason. He might be able to come back halfway through the year, but let's shut him down for the year. And then you know what you have in that player next year. And, and maybe McKenzie's not around next year because Stevenson takes over that role. Um, so for right now, until I know more about the injuries, I'm going to say silly, provided that they're both healthy come, come roster cut down. 
I think that one's real. I am going to say, I'm going to say it's real. I think I, my ideal situation would have been McKenzie taking punts because he's more experienced at it. Of course, then we saw Marquez, Marquez. I can't say that name. <laughs> I, I apologize. Uh, we saw Stevenson take that punt return touchdown, but up until that point, everything we've heard from Matt Prino and Ryan Talbot and guys like Sal and Joe Biscaglia is that the return game hadn't been that impressive during practices. In fact, they still had, I'm talking about everybody outside of McKenzie ball security issues. And <laughs> McKenzie is the one that fumbled during the game. So I, I really wanted to see him. I, I think that maybe we can be a little bit too high on him based on our preseason punt return. That's certainly possible, but I was high on anyway. He did have that catch on fourth and long to basically win the lions game for us outside that Tyler Bass kick. So are those two plays clouding our judgment a little bit? Maybe. And then you have Jake Kumaro, who has been the darling all camp long. Everybody's been, I've still got a little doubt that he's not going to make the roster. I've been on the, he's a fraud. <laughs> I've been on that train for a long time. And I'm not completely discounting that because I don't think he had a great game against the Lions or against the Bears. He didn't get separation very much. He caught that touchdown. But other than that, and the comeback route just before the half, but he had that defender on him. There was no separation. He had a drop. Of course, the one was thrown behind him. Uh, the other one, he was maybe tied up a little bit. That was going to be a difficult catch anyway, but he does offer that big body potential. So I don't know. I, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to put Kumaro on there and I'm going to put Stevenson on there just because like you said, they don't want to risk losing him. Am I wrong there? No. And th that's, so with Kumaro, I'm looking at him mostly making it as as a special teams player. Uh, I think if you're seeing a lot of snaps for Kumaro during the season, you're you got you got some problems going on. Um, but we kind of talked about this on our show this week of looking at these players as kind of like the Andre Roberts role in the offense, where you're not getting very many targets. Um, and yeah, you're expected to do your job in those situations. But even if he's out on the field as a as a fifth receiver, is he's typically not going to be the first read. You know, we we've seen Kumaro come free and he's standing in the end zone all by himself. Well, it's because you had the four or five guys ahead of him that you had to worry about. Um, I think it's kind of similar for Stevenson. We we've seen the flashes of this big playability, but the the stuff in between there hasn't been really overwhelming. Um, so, I mean, I could see them both making the roster, but we don't really see them on the field much. It's more, more of Kumaro for special teams and more Stevenson for down the line plans and, and not wanting to expose him to, to waivers. Okay. So we agree. There we go. Back hey, to normal. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got anything else for me, Justin? Uh, no, not really. It's uh, I'm having fun doing this segment. I'm, I'm looking forward to another one next week. That's right. We'll be right back here right next week doing the same exact thing. Until then, thanks, Justin. Thank you. Have a good night. Go Bills.
Vince Taylor and Buffalo on the Brain, proudly bring to you the Mafia Hot Seat, a built-in Buffalo production. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Be ready. It might be chilly. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by one of the greats and one of the smartest people in Bill's Mafia. It is a pleasure and an honor to get some spend some time tonight with Mr. Bruce Nolan over from the Buffalo Rumblings. Bruce, say hello. Hello. How's everything going? (laughs) It's going great. I mean, I'm a very specific rule follower. When you say, say hello, I say exactly that and nothing more. (laughs) Okay. I'll try to keep that in mind. I should know that about you, but I'm not that smart. (laughs) All right. So to go ahead and get started, you remember the drill from last time. You're the first one to go this week. So all 10 questions are open for you. And I promise the first question is not your name and address. So which number would you like? Seven. I knew you were going to take seven. I just had a feeling. You're always going to take a prime number. I can just feel it. Absolutely. All right. I want you, Bruce, because last year the Bills were not very good at running the ball. I felt like the interior offensive line was not very good. I want you to tell me, make me feel better about how the Bills run game is going to perform this year. Wow, that's a tough ask because on the surface, the personnel really isn't much different than it was last year. The only thing that I can tell you is that, let me ask you this as counter, would you be okay if the run game was 2019's version of the run game? I think so. And I think by saying yes to that, I am agreeing to Devin Singletary being back to that form. Yes, you are. And you're, you're agreeing to the run scheme, doing some of the things that it did in 2019. One of the lesser talked about conversations for 2019 and 2020 is that Patrick DeMarco was not a part of this team in 2020 for the first time in a long time in his place. We had Reggie Gilliam, who was a converted, you know, tight end slash fullback hybrid. They moved his position a couple times already in his short career, but you lost that Patrick DeMarco piece. And although he was not on the field for a large percentage of snaps, the movement of Reggie Gilliam this offseason to fullback may be an indication that it's something that they want to get back to doing again. In addition, you saw a shift toward more zone scheme runs and away from more gap and power scheme runs in 2020 as the year went along. Now, there have been numerous theories as to why that was, but given the fact that zone runs require coordination between the lines so significantly, and the bills were really hindered in practice time last year, it may be a scenario where they said, Hey, listen, we just need to limp through this year with a running game system that can get us something just be functional. But this particular preseason, we've seen some Things that seem to indicate that the run scheme might be a little different. We saw some pin and pull runs out of shotgun, for example. We've seen Cody Ford play pretty well in the preseason at his hopefully final position, 
of right guard, if we would ever stop moving him around, these are all factors that could all combine to potentially this running game being better in 2020. I felt like as soon as they moved Reggie back to fullback, that his roster was pretty much his roster spot was locked in. He was going to be a fullback. And I felt like that might be the key to getting the running game going. But last year, it felt like whenever we had a run, it was third and two, and we tried to run game, a uh, run play. I was screaming at the TV because I knew we would just jam it up in the middle to nothing. And most often it was Moss or Singletary having to make a move just to get back to the line of scrimmage. And I don't know how you feel, Bruce, but how much do you take away from preseason games when you're seeing that, at least with the first stringers, happening more consistently or happening, I guess, less often is what I want to say, Happening that happening less often? I think it matters to me quite a bit. It matters to me because the scheme isn't really what you care about in preseason. What I do care about is seeing people win their one-on-ones. That's what I want to see. I want to see people win their one-on-ones. And really, that's what football is about. It's about beating the man in front of you. Now, the scheme can help you get put in a more advantageous position to be able to beat the guy in front of you. But in the preseason, scheme's probably not helping you that much. Everything's very vanilla. They're not showing anything. But I still want to see a hat on a hat And I still want to see people on the offensive line, if you're a Buffalo Bill, move somebody against your will. And we've been seeing a little bit more of that. Now, granted, the two defensive lines that the Buffalo Bills have gone up against thus far in the preseason are not upper echelon defensive lines. It's not like, oh my gosh, this is like the absolute pinnacle of test. They're perfectly reasonable. But at this stage in the game, I will settle for perfectly reasonable. I will sell for perfectly reasonable push up front because I think that the running backs the Bills have are, you guessed it, perfectly reasonable. And so one of the things that matters to me a lot when I am looking at performance of offensive lines is yards before contact. I care a lot about yards before contact. Devin Singletary in 2020 was 49th in the NFL in yards before contact with 1.5. Zach Moss was 43rd with 1.8 yards before contact. You're not really doing them a lot of justice. This is one of the reasons why I was pounding the table against taking a running back in the first round. Now, there's lots of other reasons for that. But one of the reasons is the running game needs to be passable. That's it. It doesn't need to be great. It doesn't need to be amazing. It needs to be passable. Why? Because this is a passing offense with an MVP caliber quarterback who you just signed for a quarter of a billion dollars. So for me, let's just get it passable. Let's make it functional. And I think Singletary and Moss are functional running backs. So if they're functional and I only need the game as a whole to be functional, let's just make sure the run blocking is functional. And based on yards before contact per attempt, which I just read off to you, I would say it wasn't functional enough in 2020. Make the adjustments as necessary to the scheme because the personnel is pretty similar. Last year, you know, maybe not to double back too much, but jamming the ball up the middle where there's nothing there. We didn't really try to do much outside the tackles pitches or, you know, just kind of outside run plays. I don't feel like we tried that very much. Maybe you can say it's because of the lack of speed we have. How do you feel about Brita? 
I like Matt Breida. I don't think Matt Breida is a threat to significant carries against Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, but I do think he can serve as a specialist. Now, the problem with specialists is that specialization breeds predictability on offense. If you have somebody in who you know is the outside run specialist. This is the guy where if Matt Breed is in, hey, we might be seeing a pitch play here. Hey, we might be seeing outside zone here. Hey, we might be seeing something here. Maybe there's stretch, right? This is a trigger for a defense to go, hmm, okay, I don't love specialists, but given the fact that neither of the people that you have on your running back backfield are blazing speed, I do think Zach Moss has more than reasonable straight line speed. He ran a 4-5-2. People remember his combine in the 4 sixes, but he had a bad hammy. He was electronically timed at his pro day at 4-5-2, which is plenty reasonable. Alvin Kamara is a 4-5 guy. 4-5s is fine. I have no issue with 4-5s. Now, if we can make sure Zach Moss stays healthy, I actually think he can still play those outside runs. One of the things that will help with the outside runs and not having to necessarily beat a man to the edge is, you guessed it, using a fullback, which we saw against the Chicago Bears with Reggie Gilliam with a really nice lead block that led to a great run down to the goal line by Zach Moss. So there's more ways to get to the outside than just have a fast guy, but you have to be fast enough. There's a threshold of fast enough, and I think that Zach Moss can do it. If he can't do it, then at least you have someone in Matt Breida who can pull it off. Okay, I like it. I like it. You're making me feel better. That's what I asked you to do. <laughs> All right, Bruce. Do you have anything else for me? Dude, I, I'm just happy to be here, man. I'm happy to be on the hot seat. <laughs> well, I mean, it really is an honor. I'm a big fan of you and all of your teammates over there on the rumblings network. I have never had a bad interaction with anybody on your team and you guys have all treated me so well. I'm very thankful for that. And Mr. Bruce exclusive. I'm going to call you Dr. Bruce. Give me a few minutes tonight. You know what? I'll allow it. I've got 47 nicknames as it is, including this one. So you know what? Whatever people want to call me, I also respond to, hey, you and that guy over there. <laughs> All right. Mr. Bruce Nolan, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your night. You too, Vince. Ladies and gentlemen, next up on the hot seat this week, we have another first-timer. I think this is a third week in a row where we've got a first-timer in the hot seat, so I'm excited. Welcome to the hot seat, Andy Mack of the Bills Up podcast. Andy, how are you tonight? We're doing good. We're doing good. Me and Vince were just talking that we got to start the season now, so we need some real Bills football. I need to see number 17 start swinging it soon, but uh, yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for uh, promoting my uh podcast a little bit i am bills up pod on twitter so you can follow me there i have been posting some podcasts i'm up to seven episodes going on my seventh episode now this summer and a lot more content will be coming out obviously once the season starts but excited to be on the hot seat vince i know that the calendar days in between seasons is pretty much the same every year but i feel like it's doubled somehow i don't <laughs> i can't do the math right but it's been longer when you're this good, you want a game every day. It's just, <laughs> I can't wait. I literally can't wait. But what have you, how many days till we got? We got September 12th. So today's 25th. How many days is that? I can't do the math. 
18 or 18 17 days. That's yeah. still too long. 17 days. I don't think I would have tweeted something if it was 17 days. I feel like for Josh, but I think it's 18 days. Oh, we'll do it tomorrow. Then. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely do it tomorrow. <laughs> All right. So I have 10 questions in front of me. You can have any number you like except number seven because Bruce took number seven. Which one would you like? Let's go with number. Let's go trying to make some sort of significance to one. Eh, whatever. Let's just go with number five. Number five. <laughs> I was just talking about this one with one of my co-hosts last night, but. Gregory Rousseau is going to have how many sacks this year? I made this poll. I made a poll the other day who will have more him or Epinenza, and he blew it out, blew it out of the water. It was like 80 to 20%. And I think it's going to be closer than that between them two. But since we last year, five and a half was our lead, was our team leading. My guess for Gregory Rousseau this year was – is going to be – I think he gets a half more. I think he gets six sacks this year. Six sacks, I'm cool with it. I don't know how much he's going to be playing. I know the, I know Leslie Frazier likes to do a, the 60, the 40, the 55, 45 with his D-line, which I'm completely fine with keeping those guys fresh. But I think there's going to be – six is going to be his – I want him to get at least six this year. I'll be very excited and pumped if he gets seven or eight, but – if we had five and a half was our team leading last year, if he gets more than that, then we got to be excited about that. But I think there's going to be sacks to go around. I think Epinenza is going to get sacks. I believe um, Jerry Hughes will get a couple, Mario Addison, obviously some, Ed Oliver. But I believe that Greg Russo will, yeah, i say I say baseline six. I'll go six and a half. Okay. I got a little – I got a little rambunctious earlier no, with my partner. With it. Yeah. I said 12 and I, oh. <laughs> I think that's, I, I just caught up in the moment, but I have to stick by it now. Cause I, I have it recorded. No, I do. <laughs> I did lowball him a little bit there. I mean, we're really just basing it off of, he had one really good sack in both preseason games. I mean, the guy looks like an animal. Like he looks like a freak, but like, you know, our D line, they don't play the whole game. We do a lot of subbing in and out with that D line. And who knows? Do you think he's gonna? You think he's gonna be the week one starter? No, I don't think he's gonna start over Jerry or Epinenza. No. And see, I'm yeah. going back. To, you're you're talking me out of what I told Justin. <laughs> but you're to your point. It's it is going to be a rotation. Yeah. And you know it depends on the snap counts. I think. But I'm also buying into the preseason hype, maybe a little bit too much because he is a monster. He's just so long. And he's strong enough to basically stiff arm you and get around you with one arm. He did it with both arms. He did it with the right one. And then against the bears, he went on the inside and did it stiff arm with the left arm. Uh, he's just, I, I just think he's going to be a lot to handle. Now it is the bears. It is the yeah. lions yeah. not known yeah. for their offensive line. You, although uh, Penny Sewell is very highly regarded. Yes, that was awesome. He did absolutely run him over, which was awesome. Uh, so, so I, I, I think I might be guilty of overreacting and I, I try very hard not to do that, but you're probably right. It's probably going to be closer to six or seven. Yeah. I mean, and we can't not be pumped about that. We literally had, if he's having more sex than when our team did last year 
we expected, I keep writing in my on my Twitter too, uh, in quotations, project. Like people seem saying that this guy was going to be a project. And I think he's going to be, like he could be our best D-lineman this year. Like he could have the most sacks on our team this year. So to think that like, I'm going to be saying that all year, I don't think this guy's going to be a project. I think he's actually more, he's going to be more game ready than Carlos Basham, like who they thought was going to be more pro ready. So I do think, I would say right now that, Ah, it's tough. I'm trying to think. Like, I would say Greg Russo would have the most sacks on our team this year, but that would mean I would hope then he has like eight because I don't want our most sacks to be on our team to be six again. Like, our D line's got to be better than that. We need to have a good, time, a big time sack, um, sack leader on our team. But it just depends with the rotations too, and I'm really interested to see if they're going to start. Um, I wonder if it's going to go Jerry. Ed Starr and then Epinenza at right end, or do you think they're going to put uh, Mario Addison at right end? I'm not completely convinced that Addison's going to be around for a very long time. Neither am I. I mean, it's just that his contract kind of sucks right now. Where if we do let him go, we still got it's just like eight mil in dead cap or six mil in dead cap. So I do think he'll be. I don't think they're going to cut him. I could see them cutting more like Vernon Butler Jr., who they would only owe like three mil. Mm-hmm. But I think they keep him around. He is a great like locker room guy. Like the stuff he's been saying in the preseason is awesome. He's been like I saw he was like running with Deion Dawkins after his COVID thing and just getting him ready. So and he's really good with the young guys. He was the one who keeps talking up Epinenza, and I think he's good to have around. But I could see him being there. I would like them to start Jerry and then Epinenza on one side, and then maybe put out Addison in the second unit with Russo on the other side. Have a veteran and a young guy in both uh, D lines. Well, the reason why I think Addison won't be around is because they did his restructure before the draft. I don't believe they planned on drafting two defensive ends like that yeah. in, in both rounds. And is and they did restructure his contract, but I mean, I feel like we act like we've never taken on dead cap before. Very true. And, Very true. Uh, I'm getting a, a lot of feedback. I don't know if you can hear that, but I'm getting a lot of feedback there. Um, I don't think he necessarily has a lot of trade value. I think he's a cut candidate more than anything. Yeah. And How's it sound? Does that sound better now? That's a lot better, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I think the 6 o'clock horn was going on outside. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I don't think he necessarily has a lot of trade value. I think he's more of a cut candidate. And when you hear him say these things, it's because he knows what time it is. He is sees that... what's happening. Well, what is he supposed to do? You know, he's got to be the best teammate he could possibly be to have any shot of keeping his job. And, you know, he's saying and doing all the right things. And when he gets cut, and if he gets cut, it doesn't necessarily have to be that he's washed up. It can be as just like, look, we have this investment in Obata and the two draft picks. And, you know, Daryl Johnson, I'm kind of thinking he could be a trade candidate. He's good. He's solid. He's been he was really good on special teams last year, and he is a freak athlete on the end. He's six, like he's six six, two sixty. He's like he could definitely be a, a playable D end on a on a team. He's not definitely a, a guy who should be out on waivers or not playing. It's just no, I, we like somehow have gotten to where our pass rush was and our D line was non existent last year to now what we have eight, nine guys who are fighting for this uh, spot. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. I, I think he's, if I'm making a trade, the more attractive trade piece probably is Daryl Johnson for a fifth or a sixth. I know that he can come in and be my, you know, third, yeah. fourth, fifth defensive end, knowing that he's got two years left on his contract as a pair opposed to trading for Mario Addison, 
who's older and could be in the decline. I, I just, I think that there is the possibility that Daryl Johnson's on the trade block. Yeah, I could see that too. Who do you think is going to be around at D tackle? That's a great question. Cause I was worried about Harry and now that Harry's hurt. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. I really want Zimmer to make this team too. I think he's real solid. Like I'd rather him over Vernon Bower Jr. But then I know the like ties for contract, but if he may, like if he's better than him, I mean, who would you rather have Zimmer or uh, VBJ? I'm not a Vernon Butler guy. I think he's no. overpaid and he's just kind of, yeah, he's there. He's like a fine rotation, but he's never going to be really anything more than that. Yeah. I think at least Zimmer might have some upside, you know? Yeah. He's, uh, Zimmer's 28, too. I'm looking at that. I didn't even realize he was 28 years old. I thought he was younger. But. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a tough. And then you think they'll start Ed and Star on the inside. I wonder how good Star is going to be this year. Because I really wasn't that. I didn't love him the year before. And then him taking off last year. I'm pretty interested to see how he does to start this year. Yeah, I, it feels a little simple to say that one player like that is the key to the entire defense. Like, it just feels like that's just a very simple analysis. But... I don't want to discount it either because if he's going anything back to the 2019 star where he's just fine and he's yeah. eating up the blockers like he's supposed to, I mean, that it, it could work, I suppose, yeah, but it, it feels very job. simple. That's his job. I mean, we were getting, Ian, I just, the Chiefs game last year just pops in my head of when we were just getting killed, just running up the middle, running up the middle. There was just nothing there. And that's what I am more worried about this year is just the run inside game versus people that are worried about throwing at Levi or throwing at our opposite corner. I'm more worried about stuffing up the middle and like Tremaine Edmonds really coming up and stepping up and making a hit more too. That's my biggest worry about this defense. But other than that, like that's just, that's a, not a bad worry about a defense. Other than that, I think this defense is going to be going back to like two, three years ago when it was one of the top five in a league. I think we're going to be a lot better than last year. Yeah, and the way the offense took a step forward last year, I don't necessarily think we need to get to top five defense. It'd be great if we do. I'm not yeah. saying that. But uh, if we have leads, I care less about the rush defense. If the other quarterback has to pass on us and we're chasing him down with Rousseau and Jerry and Epinenza and Mario and Boogie, I'm, I care less about them trying to run the ball. Fine, run it all out. We have the lead. We'll, we'll just let you do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And then you just have times where, like I'm thinking, just big teams now, like our big games with Titans, big games against Chiefs, big games against Colts. Like, well, now I don't know about Colts with Wentz, but um, like the Titans, though, they run it down. They run it down right down the middle of Henry. But that's just something that we have to let up. It's not something that we had to go out and change our game plan with. I believe we went out and got our pass rush, which was to beat Mahomes, and I believe that's the bigger priority, obviously, than being Tennessee. But I'm I'm all good. I'm all good with the defense. I'm all good with everything. I'm all good with the how they're gonna come out with their D line. If they cut, if they don't cut Addison, I'm all right with it. Just I mean, it's it's we don't it's hard decisions to make, but it's a good defense. So it's not like we're gonna be missing anyone that important. We're gonna have enough guys there, and I believe that uh, Greg Russell will have 13 sacks. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I got you fired up. <laughs> I 
I've been, a, I'm in my early forties. I've been a Bills fan for all my life. I remember the Jim Kelly years. I remember Bruce Smith. I remember Thurman Thomas, but you know, back then I was 10 years old and didn't have a, a deep, as deep an understanding as I do today, but I can't remember a time in the last 25 years, really where we've been this concerned with the roster battles. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a young man. I was born in 97, so I'm 24 years old. I did not live those Jim Kelly years, but my dad did. And I get to listen to him talk about them all the time. So I do feel like I lived through the mere kind of just listen to him talk about them. But in my entire lifetime, I have came close to this good of a team. This is the best team I've ever seen. This is going to be, and I really like, I just, I'm super confident Bills fan right now, but I really think like this is, this is the year. I really think we beat the Chiefs this year. And we really make st- make that step forward, and we're going to be Super Bowl champions, man. <laughs> I see it. I see it. Andy Mack is calling it. He's went to Vegas and he's got some money down on it already. Already got yeah, got my bet in on MVP Josh. I had it in last year, and he came runner up, and it's I'm so pissed. I had that. It was like a hundred. It was like a one twenty five to one or seven like ninety to one or something on Josh MVP, and he came at runner up. I was like, oh. And now this year it's like 12 to one. So I'm still taking it. He's going to win it this year. That's a bold bet, Andy. You did that at the beginning of 2020 for MVP. Yeah. I put That's it in. I mean, it, it was like, it was 25. It was only, yeah, it's 25 bucks for a thousand twenty five. So whatever the odds are on that. I, I was very, it was tough. And I took Super Bowl. To, I, I mean, every year I take it, I'll take Super Bowl and MVP again this year, but. That's that's bold. <laughs> at, at the end of 2019, I, I was not a Josh believe, believer initially, but towards the middle of 2019, I was like, okay, we I think we have something here. I didn't necessarily expect him to be what we had last year. That was yeah. a, certainly a happy surprise, but I, I would have said he'd big be too. Diggs top was 10 big or 12 big. in the league. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I would just wasn't expecting him to be that run. I just wanted to have it out there just in case he did blow up like that. And it was there, but it came in second. But I mean, once once we got Diggs, I knew like that was just an established receiver that he was gonna be able to just feed. And I knew he was gonna be that type of quarterback where he is just gonna be like you'll pick someone just like throw it right away. And I knew that Dable's offense that we saw two years ago. I'm like, you put weapons around in this offense, then it's just it's over. And that's what I'm thinking now. Like when I was watching the preseason game with Mitch and they were just dicing up the Bears with Kumaro, McKenzie and um Gabe Davis I'm like you substitute Josh right in for Mitch you substitute Beasley where McKenzie is and you substitute Stefan Diggs or Kumaro is like and obviously you put starting defense on the other side but how are you gonna guard that just em- like when they're empty and spread out wide you can have Diggs over the top or across the middle and then you have Beasley completely underneath and then you have Gabe Davis and go over the top Manuel Sanders like it's just it's just too many weapons man and I think that we really I think our offense could end up being better and I'm getting, I'm getting worked up now, but I think it'll be better than the Chiefs only because I think we're just going to air it out more. I think the Chiefs are going to try and run it a little bit more than we're going to try and uh, than we're going to try and do. I think we just don't even still care about the run. We'll they'll go here and there with Singletary and Moss, who looked, who's been looking good, but I think we're going to throw it way more than they are. I think we'll be a little more up tempo too. How many? 
Over under how many head coaches smashed their cell phone on the sidelines this year? <laughs> oh my god! Oh man. It's, it's gotta be. It's really just gotta be so hard to scout. Like the Bills, you know they're passing a ball, but the amount of motions that they're doing and the empty sets and mismatches that they're making linebackers guard these slot receivers, it's got to be such a headache. Yeah, and the top three receivers, that trio is one of the more, I guess, precise route runners in the league is what I, I think I want to say. And yeah, we lost John Brown, and that's a, certainly a you know the burner element might be gone, but Diggs is in the slouch. And you have to cover not only, you know, you have to cover width ways now too, instead of just long ways. Like it, with those three on the field together, it's just, I, I just, it's going to be hard. Yeah. One of them's again, you put one-on-one -on -one coverage on one of those three guys, it's going to be open. If you have, like, you have to double cover Stefan Diggs every play or else he's getting open. That was like, he was the PFF or whatever in single coverage. He was number one. Like he's actually what you would call unguardable. Like you need to double cover him. And you give him enough time, like Beasley's going to get it open from a receiver. I think Emmanuel Sanders is going to have a good year. I think he's going to have a, a better year than John Brown does. Obviously, John Brown got hurt. But we can also see the Emmanuel Sanders maybe getting hurt too. He gets pretty injury prone. But I think Emmanuel Sanders has a great year as well. And I think we end up like liking him a lot more than we liked John Brown. John Brown was great. He got hurt here and there. But um, guy over the top. But I think Emmanuel Sanders is going to be able to do more in the middle of the field. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Andy Mack, the Bills <laughs> Up podcast. Andy, can you tell the good folks where they can find your stuff? So you can find me on Twitter right now at the Bills Up pod. Um, that is a podcast under the Roster Up media platform where at Roster Up, we have a bunch of podcasts and articles that my friend uh, created and we're pumping out pods, different teams. So if you're interested, if you're a... Bengals fan or a Chiefs fan and you want to make your own pod roster up is very good with that right now we have about 12 teams so Bills Panthers uh, Cowboys bunch of them all, all the way down all got a bunch of pods going right now and articles that we're um, pretty active on social media with so if you're interested in that you can go to roster up media and message them or you can message me and I can get you in touch with them but the Bills up pod on Twitter you can follow me at and that's where Andy Mack will be I'll be putting up podcasts hopefully i'll come back on here with vince a couple of times but uh let's stay let's stay listening to all of our bills friends on talking right it's going to be a super bowl season so no one's going to get enough of bills talk <laughs> that's right <laughs> that is right all right andy mack thank you so much for agreeing to give me a few minutes of your time tonight and yeah we'll do it again maybe a couple times during the season yeah awesome this is cool hot seat i like it all right enjoy the rest of your night sir you too Ladies and gentlemen, last up on the hot seat for this week is a fellow B.I. Beer, the caveman Michael Lisman over from the YouTube channel. Caveman, what's going on tonight? Uh, I'm having a wonderful Wednesday night. I hope everything is well with you, Vince. Happy to be on. Everything is always good with me, no matter when you ask. I'm always doing better than I deserve. So I, I want I want you to plug your show, man. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. 
I'll never miss an opportunity to plug. I I am I'm a part of BIB as Vince just mentioned. Um, I do YouTube uh, YouTube videos pre-recorded every Wednesday, which is today. I also do a show with Justice General, another fellow member of BIB. We do that every single Wednesday night at eight o'clock. So be sure you tune into that. That's you can live. Also find that is live. Yeah, I'm I'm a pre-recorded kind of guy, but that is that is live. So if you want to see some live action, that is where you can find me on Wednesday nights. And my personal channel um, is The Caveman as well. And I do a lot of stuff over there, you know, just pertaining to anything NFL related, not just the Bills. So if you're, you're a fan of just anything football related, come right on over to my channel. Come over to BIB. You'll probably you'll probably find me to some capacity. Are you going to be doing some Sabres coverage? I don't know. I saw that we added uh, Ryan, who I, what is he doing it on Saturdays now? Right. Is I, that what I think is? so. Yeah, I, I was interested, you know, maybe maybe I'll hop on here and there. But uh, right now with the Sabres, you know, you're kind of you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot trying to talk about them because it's just an endless loop of mediocrity and just cluelessness. So I, I don't know. Once the, once they pick up, maybe I'll hop in on the conversation. But for now, I'm going to stick with the Bills just for my sanity. How weird is that to say? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Right. It's crazy. All right. We're going to go ahead and get started. Caveman, you know the drill. You're an old pro. <laughs> I got 10 questions in front of me. You can have anyone you like except five or seven. 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 Do you remember the last time I said I came on and everybody picked seven? It's always gone. Well, I had Bruce on this week and I just mm-hmm. know Bruce is always picking seven. And if he, I, he's just going to pick a, a, a prime number no matter what. I just know mm-hmm. it. <laughs> well, let's go with uh, two. Take two. Two. All right. Okay. I think this is a good conversation starter because I feel like many Bills Mafia members, myself included, are maybe riding a little high right now on the preseason, watching Groot, seeing, you know, just last week we tore the Bears up with a backup squad. We're all feeling very optimistic right now. Do you think that we are going to be good enough to go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs? Oh boy. Um, my opinions pertaining this kind of topic could be viewed as pessimistic, but I have, you know, I think maybe it's because of the preseason hype a little bit. I, you know, I would have believed no before the preseason, but I think seeing the pass rush throughout the preseason up to this point has gotten me to teeter just a little bit. But as of right now, I don't think the answer can be yes until we prove that we can stay in a game with them. I mean, let's be real. Both games we played against them last year, were we really in them? I mean, you can argue for a little bit, but not for too long. So right now, I think we'll be good enough to match up with them. I don't know if we'll be good enough to beat them. We just have to wait and find out. And the pass rush coming along is going to be the major X factor in answering that question. And I really, really hope that this year it could just explode. And even if it's not this year, these young guys are going to be freaks at some point. So maybe it'll be next year. But we have some young guys that will come along. Yeah, I I tell myself it's preseason. I don't want to buy in. I don't want to overreact. Mm-hmm. I know what the preseason pledge is. But I'm I'm buying in more than I would normally allow myself to do so. And I do think you're right. The pass rush is all the difference. But I guess I'm not sure we did enough to upgrade coverage. Mm-hmm. We don't have a guy to go toe-to-toe with Ty- Tyreek Hill. Now, I know we play man, but we don't always play man. We play – I mean, we don't always play zone. We do play man sometimes. And 
I just I wonder if we could have used an upgrade there at a cornerback spot that we didn't get. You now instead we focus all of our attention on defensive line. It could work out for us, and I'm I'm not closed off to the idea, but I guess it didn't have to be one or the other, and that's my only real, uh, I guess, hesitation. Yeah, right. No, I completely agree. But you know, for somebody like me, um, I think you could get away. I, I'm, you know, there's always been the age-old argument of whether or not a pass rush is more important than coverage. And people are saying, oh, I think coverage is more important than pass rush. I, I'm somebody that leans toward, you know, if you have a good pass rush, you can get away with, you know, average to maybe even below average uh, secondary play. But, you know, I don't think the Bills have a good enough pass rush to get away with having a below average secondary. And we, we certainly don't, obviously. But, you know, I, who's to say our pass rush is going to be good enough to help out the secondary that we have? And, you know, you're right. The, the second cornerback spot specifically was something we've been harping about throughout the entire offseason to upgrade. And I, I would not have hated to see to, you know, maybe bring in another a veteran for the defensive line. I'm not saying J.J. Watt um, and I'm not even saying Chandler Jones. I'm not even sure who I'm talking about, but I wouldn't have hated to see more of an immediate upgrade there instead of kind of putting all of our eggs in the basket of development for, you know, going into the season. And that makes me think that, you know, if we are going to be, you know, pass rush dominant, I just don't think it's going to be this year because the guys we have are just so young. And when you say when you wanted a veteran, you meant a veteran defensive end, not somebody on the interior. Yes, yes. And, okay. you know, Jerry Hughes could fit, right? But, I mean, you need somebody else that's going to help Jerry Hughes. And, you know, is that going to be Gregory Rousseau in his first season? I mean, I'm starting to believe yes. I would have told you no before the preseason. But I, I don't know. I, it's just going to be really hard to say. But, you know, we look at a team like the Buccaneers. They have a top three, top five pass rush easily. And I mean, their secondary is okay, but they, they don't have one of the best secondaries in the NFL by any means. They have a bunch of young guys back there. Um, they're not outstanding, but they get the job done because their pass rush is always in, in the face of the opposing quarterback. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, so I wouldn't have hated having more immediate upgrades down in the trenches, but I, I also wouldn't have hated getting some upgrades at cornerback too. But, you know, I, I have been somebody that's been on the train of not really enjoying as much of the preseason because I felt like we didn't do enough sometimes, but you know, that's, that's, that's a conversation we can really indulge into on a later date. Okay. So you heard it right here. Caveman says, mm, I'm not buying it until I see it. Yeah. So your prediction right now is no. Yeah. I, uh, I, my schedule prediction for the bills is 14 and three. And I do have the bills losing to the chiefs. I have them have them losing to the Buccaneers and as of right now, this was before the, all the Chiefs injuries and whatever, or the Colts injuries, I'm sorry, but I do have them losing to the Colts and the Colts get their revenge in the regular season at least. So those are my three losses, three teams that I think we really have to prove. You know, I mean, we proved it against the Colts, granted, but I mean, the Bucks embarrassed the Chiefs. I can only imagine what they probably could have done to us in that same Super Bowl game if we were to have made it. Okay. Yeah, I, it's, I find it hard to disagree with any of that. The Caveman, Michael Lisman. You can find him on the Built in Buffalo YouTube channel doing a live show. Actually, we're recording on a Wednesday just before you start your live show. But he also has his own personal YouTube channel as well where he puts out many other videos, including some Sabres talk now and then. He also has a very bold delivery. He's in your face, and it's entertaining. I love it. Plus, he likes to plug Mott's applesauce. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> that is true. That's something you'll get to know about me as soon as you watch one of my videos. You, every single video that I appear in, you will hear something about Mott's applesauce at one point or another. So Vince is right. Vince is right about that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, man, I'll let you go get ready for your show. Maybe I'll pop in and say hello later tonight. Thank you very much for having me on, Vince. It's a blast as always. All right. Enjoy the rest of your night. All right, Bills Mafia, you did it again. You got all the way through another one of these nonsense episodes of Buffalo on the Brain. I'm so glad you did. I know there are so many other wonderful and great and talented people in the Bills Mafia podcasting community, and I'm very thankful that you chose to listen to me. I'm very appreciative to each and every one of you that chooses to listen or come on the hot seat. I can't do this side project, this hobby of mine, without help from you all. So thank you so much. If you're able to, I would really appreciate if you show your appreciation for the show or for the Built in Buffalo podcast network, wherever you're listening, please hit that subscribe button. I and the rest of my teammates would really appreciate if you go out and you have some thoughtful review. You have a thoughtful review, maybe some thoughtful criticism, help us get better, help us keep doing this. I like doing it, but it matters i guess in some level of what you all think about this show so i appreciate it we will talk to you all next week until then please wear a mask please be kind to everybody around you please squeeze somebody close to you and scream go bills to the top of your lungs if you were not absolutely satisfied with this podcast episode please contact your state senator or the postmaster general please be sure to mention Vince Taylor said that you are a big fucking cry-ass. Here we are. I'm out of my third Pro Bowl. We're talking about our idiot podcaster who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. So what has the sports world come to? We're talking about idiot podcast. Boy, I'm sure glad that's over with. Me too. Yeah, but you know, I learned something today. Just when you think this show is terrible, something wonderful happens. What? It ends. <laughs> It's over. Go home. Go.